Tonight we're in Proverbs chapter 27, and an awesome uh, proverb. Look what you see in verse 1. It says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And, and you know, I don't know if you'd classify this as a proverb, but I, I think we hear this a lot. It's a well-known saying, tomorrow is guaranteed to no man, huh? You know, they say around 164,000 people die every single day on planet Earth. And one day, if the Lord tarries, I will be among the 164,000 that die. So we don't know the day. And so we can't boast about it like we already got it. We can't. None of us here can. None of us here knows if we will be alive on Friday. And that's just what the Bible says. You know, the brother of Jesus, he wrote about this. When you get a chance, I encourage you, read James 4, 13 through 16. It's the perfect commentary on this. He basically said in today's vernacular, tomorrow I'm going to Bakersfield to buy a field and grow some grain and bake some bread and make some bread and bring home the bacon and then live high on the hog for the rest of my life. That's kind of what he says there. And then, you know, he's got it all planned out. But James said, what are you talking about, Willis? Our life is a vapor that, that just vanishes away before you know it. Instead, James says, and the proverb tells us, you ought to say, Lord willing, we'll go to Bakersfield and here's the game plan for the rest of our life. You know, because none of us know. You know, I, I'm doing a funeral a week from tomorrow for a, a young man, a relatively young man in his 40s, and this young man uh, got COVID, and uh, he seemed to be doing okay. You know, most of us are, right? 99.9% are. So does, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I think it's something like that. But, you know, um, what happened? Getting better, but then one day he, he wakes up, and he, uh, he calls his brother. He said, hey, I'm not feeling well. And then his brother says, well, call the doctor. So he calls the doctor. The doctor said, call 911. Calls 911. Um, the ambulance gets there. He, they put him on the gurney, and he has a heart attack. And, and we've been hearing stories like this, right? And so, you know, nothing's changed. Like we've talked about, the COVID hasn't changed that. I mean, it's just a reality that we're, I think, seeing uh, just more vividly now. You know, we need to be aware of the reality of the brevity of life. I was thinking of the other uh, story that Jesus told. It may have been a true story about a man who was making a lot of money, uh, growing a lot of grain. And he says, man, I got so much to store. I don't even have anywhere to store it. And so what should I do? And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And the Lord, you know, in just looking at the whole story, he said, you know, you're a fool. Because tonight, you're going to die. And whose will it be? I mean, here's a man all caught up in those things and not realizing, you know, in tune with the Lord as far as the brevity of life. It's okay to plan, you guys. Don't get me wrong. It is okay. As a matter of fact, you should plan. I think it would be unwise not to plan. But it is not okay to presume. 
That's all the Lord is saying. And so whenever we're talking about the future, even today I was talking to someone about what we're going to do tomorrow. I, you know, I just said, I got it. I just personally, I don't, people might think I'm weird or whatever, but I'm just always say the Lord willing, Lord willing, you know, we'll see you tomorrow because that's the reality of it. Verse two, it says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And so here we see, not only should a person refrain from boasting about what he will do in verse 1, he should also refrain from boasting about what he has done. I, I read that in a commentary. You know, it's interesting how in the Hebrew language, we have the exact same word translated boast in verse 1 as, as praise in verse 2. And, and so one thing's for sure, if you're praising yourself, if you're boasting about your own accomplishments, uh, we're going to see it uh, uh, later in life. And we see it nowadays with some of these celebrities and athletes and politicians. Look what I've done. I mean, we see that. But it should never be us. Nebuchadnezzar, remember what he said? Oh, look at the kingdom that I've built. And God humbled him and made him eat the grass and his nails grew like an animal. He knew better. And so, you know, we don't do that. He says right here, if someone gives you a good word or a compliment or a pat on the back, that's okay. But even then, uh, be careful. And we're going to see that more in verse 21. Verse 3 says, A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. And so the Hebrew word here translated wrath is often translated grief or provocation. And, you know, I don't know if you guys pick up the heavy rock or maybe, you you know, you get the bag and you put a lot of sand in it. You know how heavy that can be, right? And so when you get that fool, unfortunately, who crosses your path in your life, it's like this burden. It's so heavy. The provocation, the grief, sometimes we have people in our life like that. And it just takes a toll. It weighs us down. It's like st stones and sand just saturating our soul. And, and so, you know, it's an observation here. This is what fools do. I think it's also a word of caution. Um, number one, don't be a fool. Don't be like this to people. Don't be a fool. Number two, avoid them if you can. Because they'll weigh you down. Now, if you can't, maybe you work with one or... You know, whatever, you have someone like that in your life, just pray for them and do what you can not to fire them up even more. Okay, because believe it or not, it can get worse. Look at verse 4. It says, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Now, that's an interesting verse. Um, you know, usually anger subsides. You know, you get mad, you blow up, and then you're done, Okay. But jealousy usually resides. You know, jealousy will eat you alive. And, and for various reasons, people get jealous. Proverbs 6.34 says, Jealousy is a husband's fury, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. And you know, as a husband, you know, the Proverbs there says he's going to kill that guy. So, so again, anger, wrath, they only go so far, but jealousy is deeper and, and it might be jealousy over that type of love, maybe like an erotic love. It, it can even be jealousy about God's agape love. 
You know, you might remember the story of, of Cain and Abel, how Cain was jealous of Abel because God looked upon him with favor because Abel offered his sacrifice of faith and God said, hey, you know, good job, Abel. But, but then God looked at Cain. He said, Cain, hey, you know what? You need to get right. You know, your sacrifice is not acceptable because you're not offering it by faith. And so, you know, what does Cain do? Cain gets so mad with God's love over his brother. What does he do? You guys know how he kills him. Imagine that. And how many people, with that envy, with that jealousy, I don't like the way that person's favored and I'm not, how many people, it's eating them alive and it's killing that relationship. We should be so blessed when our brothers and sisters are blessed. You know, and so this is something that the Proverbs, it just says, it is so ugly. If you have any of that, you know, weed of wickedness inside of you, man, weed it out and celebrate when others are blessed. Beware of jealousy and beware of jealous people. Verse 5, it says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And similar in verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, this is uh, one of those verses. We have 19 of them in Proverbs, better than verses, better than. And so here we see open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And so if we as Christians, we see a person in a dangerous situation, this to say, uh, for example, there's a lot of things we can think of, but maybe, maybe they're a couple that's living together but they're not married or maybe, you know, you work with them and you just see that they're not saved, but you don't say anything. Uh, sometimes for whatever reason, we think that by not saying anything or never saying anything, we're being nice, we're being loving. But really, what good is that type of love? <laughs> if, if that's love, you know, that's love carefully concealed. What we're learning in the Proverbs, there are 16 of the verses that we covered today in the interpersonal relationships with each other. We can really help each other. We can really make a difference in people's lives. And I know it's hard, but if we want to help them, we're going to have to hurt them sometimes, lest we harm them. And so imagine, you know, you go to the doctor and he sees that something's wrong with you. But imagine he doesn't want to tell you because he doesn't want to discourage you. Imagine how silly that would be. Or you, you have a tumor inside, but the surgeon doesn't want to cut you because he doesn't want to hurt you. What, what kind of doctor is that? What kind of surgeon is that? They're a quack, right? I mean, uh, we call them that, and we then sue them for malpractice. And so what does the Bible say? If you see someone in danger, share with them. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Thank you for telling me the truth. It sets me free. And so a lot of what we learn as Christians, man, is that we tame this tongue uh, to not say things that we shouldn't say. And we're going to see it today to say the right word in the right way at the right time. I mean, those things are huge. We're going to see that as we go through our life as a Christian. If you can tame your tongue, to be able to be obedient to God, and that will be one of the keys 
of your entire Christian life. And so uh, one thing I want to say, having said that, we should, you know, wound people when it's helpful for them. Um, I I need to also say something clear that you don't have to rebuke them every time you see them. Now, some people think, well, that's what it means. No, I I would say this. If you've said it at least once, hey, I brought this before you um, at least once, then basically from that point on, you have to just ask God to show you when to say and what to say. You shine a little bit maybe before you continue to share. You guys have heard that saying, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes your, your constant rebukes will backfire on you. So make sure you said it at least once. They know where you stand. But then from that point on, you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, I was. Just a, I remember a long time ago. Um, uh, it's a weird video, but I am going to encourage you guys if you can check it out. Have any of you ever seen that video on YouTube? It's uh, it's called a letter from hell. Any of you guys ever seen that? Okay, no. Wow, you guys, you got Where you been, man? <laughs> now you got to check it out. It is this guy writing a letter from hell to his friend who never shared the gospel with him. And his friend was a Christian, so-called. And so it's a heavy, heavy video. Um, Not to condemn you, um, I don't think that their salvation is necessarily dependent upon whether or not I'm going to speak, but there's something in that that I think we need to be aware of. And maybe the Lord lead you. And I, I always, always think about who we are. We are fishers of men. We are. So we need to ask God, how can I win them to you? And so the Lord will show us. Sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's with other Christians that we're trying to help. But we need to use his tongue uh, to tell the truth. Uh, verse 7, it says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. And so um, we've probably all been there. Have you guys ever been there where you're stuffed and you couldn't eat another M&M? Have you ever been there? (laughs) You know, I'm not hungry. No more ice cream, not a scoop, no more cookies. Um, You know, if you're full, that's it. But if you're hungry enough, you'll pretty much eat anything. And I know some of you here would say, no, I would never eat that. Oh, if you're hungry enough, you would. As a matter of fact, I don't want to gross you out, but if you read 2 Kings 6.29, you'll see what I'm talking about, that a person who's hungry enough will eat anything, right? Pastor Chuck was talking about his dogs, and I don't know if any of you have dogs and and what you feed your dogs. Um, Some people like to give them table food, uh, you know, steak, filet mignon, but Pastor Chuck was talking about how he gives his dogs dry dog food, (laughs) and they eat it. Because, you know, they're hungry. You know, the point here, though, is not just food for the body. It's primarily food for the soul. And and what he's saying is he's saying, hey, if your soul is satisfied with the love of the Lord, with the sweetness of our Savior, then you're not going to be looking in other places. You know, but if we're not looking to him then we'll start looking to others to try to fill that void and satisfy us. And it'll never happen, you know. Uh, You wonder sometimes, and and you guys have seen it, I'm sure, in life, why is that beautiful girl 
hooking up with that crazy dude that you can tell he does not care for her. He does not love her. You know, and, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes the explanation is because she, she doesn't have a right relationship with God and, and maybe even she doesn't get the attention that she deserves maybe from her dad. You know, and he neglected her and now she's found someone who's paying attention to her. You know, that's just the way that we're wired. And it, it just breaks your heart to realize that even the bitter beatings are sweet to some of these girls because they never had that attention. And that's what you read right here. It says, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And that's why, you know, my encouragement to you, all of us, men, women, you know, younger in the Lord, older in the Lord, it never changes. You have to be satisfied with the Lord. Your spouse won't satisfy you. You know, your kids are gifts, but they won't satisfy you. Your pastor will let you down. You name it. There is no one that can satisfy us like the Lord. But that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way you were designed. As a matter of fact, I like what John Piper said. He said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. And so that's got to be our, our drive. You know, I was thinking about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And she was trying to fill that void with all the different relationships. And she had husband after husband after husband until finally after the whatever fourth, fifth divorce, she says, I'm just going to live with the guy because that's not working. And the Lord told her there in John chapter 4, he answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I mean, you go there, you're going to come up dry. You're going to end up thirsty. But you go to Jesus, you'll never be thirsty. Why? Because he's always there. He's always there. And that's what we see here in, in the proverb. And one of the most important lessons we'll ever learn in life. Proverbs 14, 14, it says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. And so we learn, you know, we shouldn't boast about tomorrow or ourselves, that we should avoid the fools and foolishness of anger and wrath and even of jealousy. We learn as we go through the Proverbs that we should be faithful friends, willing, if necessary, to speak words that hurt but also heal. We learn that we need to be satisfied with Jesus. And then in verse 8, it says, Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. And, and you know, this definitely applies to a man or woman abandoning his or her family responsibility. It also applies, I think, in one sense, perhaps to uh, someone who wanders from their place in the Lord. I mean, it might even be that God wanted you to serve. And yeah, you're still a Christian, but you're not serving. And God is saying, hey, you need to get to this place where I've called you to be. And so, you know, a bird wandering from its nest, it's applicable to these two things. Um, but it probably primarily speaks of when our children leave the nest too soon, believe it or not. 
Now, just as a bird uh, wandering from its nest too early or too far brings hardship on itself, so a young person leaving home too soon may find himself unable to care for himself. You know, we have the example of the prodigal son, remember? I mean, he left. It wasn't time to leave, and he ended up, you know, going bankrupt. And, and so I, I know as parents, I don't know where you guys are at in this whole thing. Um, some parents might be like, um, I need him out. I need him out, you know. <laughs> Other parents are like, not yet. Um, I'll, the Lord will show you guys when, but sometimes it, it really is too early for them to go out there because they're just not ready. Verse 9, it says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So so ointment and perfume, okay? Uh, imagine, if you would, living in a culture where work, and we still see some of it today, but not every guy does, but where every man worked hard out in the field all day long under the sun. Imagine that. You were there every day. Imagine living in a culture where showers were rare and deodorant was non-existent. And then, you know, not everybody had money for ointment or perfume or cologne. And so, you know, one day someone, maybe they give you some cologne or they give you some perfume. Imagine how awesome that would be. Or maybe you just smell it on someone else. And so can you, if you can visualize yourself, rather than you know, smelling B.O. or whatever, you smell the perfume, you smell the ointment, you smell, smell the, the, the cologne, and, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's a neat thing right here. It says, ointment and perfume, they delight the heart. And then you know, when you, you get a whiff of that, it's cool. And then God then takes it and says, that, that same feeling, that good sensation is the parallel to the soul when you find a friend who gives you biblical, who gives you good and godly counsel. And and it goes hand in hand with what we already read, verses 5 and 6, and we'll see later in verse 17. I, I don't know if you guys are there like cognizantly thinking about these things, but one of the things the Lord's shown me you know, because you, you get together with people and you're talking with people. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can talk about anything. I mean, there's a, a million things in, in the news and in, in sports, I mean, in movies and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of cool, not, not to be weird, but it's kind of cool when you begin to, to steer the, the conversation to the Lord. And, and then here's something cool. I want to just plant this thought in your mind. When you talk to them about the Lord, you don't just tell them about your experience or some, you know, cliche, some worldly word of wisdom. When you're there in the situation and you give them the Bible, you give them the Bible, the biblical reference. This is what the scriptures say. And hey, man, it pertains to your situation. I tell you what, when you have a friend like that in your life, That's what he's saying. It's like living in a world that is so dirty and so far from clean. And then when you experience it, it refreshes you. And so praise God if you have a friend like that. Well, you know, eventually when we get together, we're going to be talking about the Lord. We're going to be talking about deep things, good things. And, And then prayerfully, you're one of them. And that's why it's so important that you know the Bible. 
This is why, because then you have words, you know, to share. Verse 10, it says, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. And, and, I, and I think the context here speaks of friends probably in your neighborhood or your vicinity, a close like, proximity. What he's saying right here is take advantage of that. H hold on to those friends. I know the bond of a friendship might not be as thick as blood, but it's wise to go to them sometimes, especially if they're closer to you. And some of you guys, and we've seen it throughout the church ever since I've been around in the church, you know, like a lot of times, yeah, the people in the church are closer uh, than your family members. And so that's kind of a, a given. But, but what he's saying right here is, is it's designed more, you know, to just share with us, you know, where we're to go in the difficult times. Not that you neglect your family. Not, not that God puts you with your family for a reason, Okay. One commentary, he put it this way. The proverb is designed more to exalt long-term friendship than to denigrate family ties. Normally, in times of adversity, a brother or a relative is helpful. But if the brother lives a great distance away, a neighbor may be more, far more helpful. And so, again, um, interesting when you look at the Proverbs and even just the practical aspects of it along friendships and all that kind of stuff. I, I thought it was interesting the way he speaks of your father's friend. And I thought that was kind of cool. Now, you know, your father's friend, maybe you have a Nino, you know, and you're, maybe your dad's not around anymore, but you're thinking of your father's friend. Uh, and maybe uh, that Nino really loves you or you have an adopted uncle, kind of, you know, someone who's going to care for you. Why? Because he knows you're his friend's kid. And so you kind of you kind of hold on to those ties. You know, we should care for them and they probably care for us because of the special relationship they had with your parents. And so there's a lot here. I think there's a lot here. You know, um, when it comes to having friends, uh, verse 10, do not forsake them. There is something about being friendly to maintain those friendships. Verse 11 says, my, my son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. And so earlier in the Proverbs we saw this a lot. Um, you know, this is the only verse, however, in chapters 25 through 29 that includes my son. And so keep in mind as you're reading the Proverbs that this is your father speaking to you. This is your papa. This is your daddy. This is your abba. This is the one who cares for you, the one who loves you like that. And he says, my son, my son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. And, and of course, you know, the immediate practical application has to do with, with parents. I think when we keep it in context, his father speaking to his child. And as a dad, I will tell you this. I, you can ask my kids, my, my, my wife. I mean, you can take everything else away from me. Every, I don't, it doesn't matter, but my kids... And when it comes to my kids, when it comes to my kids, 
I mean, yeah, I want them to be able to stand on their own two feet and whatever, you know, have the American dream and have a good life. But for them, all I really want for them is to serve the Lord, right? And that's what he's saying right here. This is what a dad is saying. Uh, and he's saying, you know, like I might get some critics or they might come against me, this, that, and the other, and tell you what, son, daughter, Here's a little extra incentive for you. A little extra incentive for you. Think of me for just a second, you know. Um, they're going to come against me if things are not going well. And so they come and they criticize. Let me just be able to tell them that you're a believer. And so there is that extra incentive there. Now, I will say this. As a parent, this is probably the precept. This is what it's talking about. But the principle, like I said, too, is this the, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And he's saying to you, Manny, be wise. Um, walk in my ways. Walk in my wisdom. That way when the devil over here comes and accuses uh, you like he does all the time with all the people, like he did with Job, that you will be blameless. And so there's that extra incentive. I was thinking about this on the way over here because my wife and I were going over the prayer request, so many parents dying, so many parents dying. And so I was thinking about, you know, my dad, you know, having passed this year, well, in 2020. And I was just thinking, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you want to make your, your dad glad, your, your mom and dad happy. There's that there, huh? And, and that's kind of the way we should live. For our Heavenly Father, you guys. It's a real thing. Third John verse 4, it even says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so it's a proverb from, par from parents challenging their children, please be wise. And so I pray uh, that our kids would listen. <laughs> verse 12, it says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple just pass on and are punished. And so um, I was listening to some other studies, and I'm not going to criticize them or anything, but I am going to say this, that some of the guys, when they teach the Proverbs, they say, oh, we already covered that, you know, a few, a few chapters ago. Because it is the identical same thing we read in, a, in Proverbs 22, verse 3. But, but I just think differently. To me, I'm like, well, it's, it's the same verse in chapter 22, but the Holy Spirit put it here again. Why? Why is it repeated? Because God is trying to repeat it to us, right? They, it's an Arabian proverb or an Egyptian proverb. They, they don't know for sure who to give the credit to, but they say that repetition teaches a donkey. And so the Lord, he just repeats things. And like I told you guys many times, it's repeated so we're not defeated. I need to hear it over and over and over again. Never come to a place where I don't need to hear it again. And so here we see that a prudent man, he foresees evil. And what does he do? He, he makes his adjustments. He, he hides himself uh, so that he doesn't, you know, fall into that pit. But the simple, they just pass on and are punished. We're reminded here that the prudent person looks ahead to see if there are potential dangers or pitfalls in order to avoid them. But the naive person just plows through all the red flags of warnings. They fall into the enemy's evil trap 
and suffer the consequences. Um, I wanted you to turn real quick, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. And look what we read in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, this is John the Baptist, he said to them, he said to these religious leaders who were coming, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit And with fire and his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so here's the thing, you guys. Someone reads this right here. This is John the Baptist talking to the religious leaders of the day. And he asks them as they're showing up, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he goes on and he shares with them the things that they need to see. If they don't get right, oh, I'm Jewish. Oh, I, I went to church. Oh, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Oh, I'm, I, you know, I got this position, whatever it might be. He said, no, it, that's not how it works. You have to bear fruit that shows you're a believer. Because if not, listen, if you're not, you know, bearing that love, if you're not bearing the fruit of a Christian, you know, who hungers after God, who has a burden for the lost, who's, you know, interested in the Bible, who wants to pray. And if you're not bearing the fruit of a Christian, then this is what you're headed for. Because one day that axe is right there. It's ready to chop it down and it's ready to throw it in the fire. And so, you know, the proverb, it says that a prudent man, he, he looks ahead and, and, he, and he says, okay, what's the future for me? And if there's any adjustments that need to be made, then he makes those adjustments. And you, you never know. I mean, I don't know for sure. I know midweek services, you know, you're probably going to get most people who are saved or even people who are watching on live stream and not WandaVision or something, you know, they're watching the study, you know, and uh, you're thinking they're saved, but there might be one person, one person who's not really a Christian. And if you were to die today, you would go to hell. And, and the Bible says, well, if you're prudent and you look forward and you see that danger ahead of you, then you make a, de- a decision. You, you make the choice to do what? To get your life right with the Lord. You know, if you're a Christian, it, there has to be, you know, no secret sin. You're sold out and surrendered. And if you're not a Christian, you got to know, you guys, this whole thing about church, it's not a social gathering. It's not just a club. It's not a habit. It's a relationship that we have with God that was made possible through Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who bore our sins, who suffered our punishment. He died and was put in a grave, but he rose again, defeating death. And all you have to do 
is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you haven't done that, if there's no fruit in your life that shows you haven't done that, then I pray you would now. I pray you would say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. And as you make that decision, I know I did, man, August 20th, 1989 is a long time ago. And man, everything changes. And so I want to encourage you in that uh, and when it comes to that proverb. Back in Proverbs 27, we see in verse 13, it says, Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he is surety for a seductress. And so this is another one of those Proverbs. Uh, we see something similar in chapter 20, verse 16. The NLT, I, I like the way it's worded in that translation. It says, get security from someone who guarantees a stranger's debt. Get a deposit if he does it for foreigners. And so basically, if you're giving a loan, basically what he's saying is you want to make sure you have some collateral. And what we see a lot of times in the Proverbs is God is just teaching us to be wise, not with our finances, but with his finances. And we're going to see even more at the end of the chapter. Verse 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. And so let me ask you guys a few questions. Number one, is blessing your friend, is that a blessing? And blessing your friend loud, is that a blessing? Yeah, I would say so with enthusiasm. It even makes it more of a blessing. Hey, God bless you, right? But <laughs> if your friend is still sleeping, <laughs> what we see right here is that blessing is in one sense uh, seen as a cursing. And again, we see this a lot. If the timing is not right, uh, then the words, sometimes even the content, if it's, if it's, if it's good, it's just not said at the right time. It matters not only what we say, but how, when, and why we say it, said Derek Kidner. Remember Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. So a word just the right way. Ecclesiastes 3, it talks about just the right way. What a blessing it is. I don't know if I've shared with you guys before. Forgive me if I have. But um, I remember one time going to a men's retreat. This is when I was a new believer. Okay, so we had all these uh, guys in the room. And uh, we're all sleeping in the same room. And I remember as a new believer, one of the guys, um, he, when everyone was sleeping, he said in a real loud voice, good morning. And he woke everybody up, right? And uh, one of the guys, none of us knew this passage at that time because we're all new believers one of the guys, he gets his Bible, hey, I know there's a verse in here that says you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> here it is right here. So don't do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you wake your kids up, be nice, okay? All right, verse 15. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. And so, um, uh, we should skip this verse on. No, I'm just joking. A word to wives, right? It's a word to wives. It's a warning to young men choosing a wife. Uh, really, it's a warning to all who 
who are unmarried especially, uh, for this contentious woman uh, can easily be a contentious man. And, and basically, you want to be married so bad. Sometimes people, they want to get married so bad that they settle for someone who may, for the rest of their life, unsettle their soul. And so here we see it's constant and it's impossible. You know, Pastor Chuck said it never stops and it drives you crazy. This can happen, right? I mean, it's trying to like grasp the, the, the wind or, the, or this oil. I mean, can you do that? No. Sometimes, you know, you'll get a couple and they're dating and they're courting or whatever and they see the red flags and they see the anger, they see the contentious and never go away, but they just kind of plow through those red flags. They have the mentality, well, I'll fix them when we get married. No. So, uh, so you got to be really careful. Now, I don't want to set the standard so high that a single person thinks they need to find, you know, a perf- person who has no sin. But, man, the Lord will show you someone like this. And I found it fascinating what William Penn said. He said, pray one hour before going to war, two hours before going to sea, and three hours before getting married. So again, and I've shared with you guys before, there can be a temptation to say, oh, it's all the husband's fault. He blew it. And sometimes, you know what? It is the husband's fault to a certain extent because he hasn't poured into his wife, loved on his wife, prayed for his wife, but not always. So married couples, husbands examine their life, um, women, wives, same thing. And we see the warning here. Verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And this is why it's so cool to see the guys getting together on Wednesday nights. You have that men's fellowship. Um, Not only do you get the study directed towards men, my prayer is that they would teach it, that the teachings would go like, hey, let me talk about guy stuff in the teaching. So you get it directly. But then, you know, you get to just meet the guys and chop it up and fellowship. And it's a really good thing. Wednesday nights, we also have it on Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock. But, but basically, this is described as intense or maybe, you know, even I would call it genuine friendship, genuine fellowship. What, it, what a difference it makes for good in men. Iron sharpening iron. So a man, he sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, the countenance uh, usually speaks of your face, which is a reflection of the heart. Uh, We're going to see that in verse 19 of this chapter, as a matter of fact. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1 says, Who is like a wise man and who knows the the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sweetness of his face is changed. And so when there's that wisdom, you're going to see it in their life. You're going to see it in their face. And so you'll see it, but, but, but probably even more than that, As one commentator said, the Hebrew word almost equals personality. And so I've seen it over the years, men who are poisoned by bad influences and men who are sharpened by good ones to the point where even their personality blossoms. Now, we are shaped and we are sharpened by whomever we share life with. That's the truth. Even those random discussions like I was talking about earlier, those passing suggestions, even sometimes criticisms. We have to be aware of that and we have to do, we have to be intentional 
to be around men and women who are strong in the word. And I like what Pastor Sandy Adams said. He said, no one sharpens a knife on a stick of butter. Right? A person needs to be more solid in the word than that. And it takes friction to forge an enduring faith. Verse 18 says, whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So he who waits on his master will be honored. And, and what's he talking about there? He's talking about your work. I think in one sense he's also talking about the Lord because ultimately who do we work for? We work for the Lord, right? And so as the New Living Translation puts it, as, as workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. And so for us, as we're going to work, you guys, we should be, as Christians, identifiable. We should stand out, you know, like a sore thumb compared to the rest, that we work hard, that we're submissive to our employers. And you will be, basically what we see right here is you will be rewarded for that. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes the reason that an individual doesn't get, you know, what they're looking for, I should be promoted by now. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes it's because they see that in the heart. There's not really a heart of submission. So we need to take this into consideration. Verse 19, as in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. I remember when I used to work in produce department, I would go uh, to, uh, I worked in the fruit department, and so a lot of times people would ask me to pick out a watermelon for them. And so, I, I don't know if I've shared with you guys before, but picking out a watermelon, it can be interesting. Um, but then, you know, over the years, you kind of learn how it works. You look for a yellow belly, you look for some bee stings, it has to have a nice sound to it when you tap it on the side or you know, maybe um, it has to be heavy for its, you know, size, so you know it's juicy. Just different things you're looking for. Basically, what you're trying to, to see is the inside, the inside. And so a lot of times we, in today's world, we look at the outside. We're so concerned with the outside. But God doesn't see as man sees. You know, man, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 9, he looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And, and you're wondering, well, what is that man? What, what is he really? It's what he is in his heart, right? And you can fool some of the people all the time. You can be all, fool all of the people some of the time. But you can never fool God. And that's why we have to make sure our heart is right. And David in Psalm 51.10, he prayed for his heart, created me a clean heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so a lot of times we think we're okay because, well, they don't see my heart, they don't know my thoughts, they don't know the ugly things that are going on there that I'm allowing to just kind of like brew. And, and God basically says, you can't hide it. You can't hide it. And I show people what's really going on. And so, you know, a heart, that, that's what shows, that's who we really are. And so, Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that in and of ourselves, our hearts, they, you know, they're ugly. That's all of us. But um, Acts 14, 22, it says that, um, 13, 22, that, that Paul was a man after God's own heart. So you just, I mean, David was, that you have to let the Lord do that work. 
Verse 20 says, Howl and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And so um, the grave is personified here as kind of having an appetite and seemingly it wants uh, more people, right? Um, do you guys remember what I shared earlier as far as how many people die each day? 164,000. And it's not like, you know, the grave is saying, oh, enough, enough, we're full now. Absolutely not. And so in, in one sense, we see that, but then we also see, even in our own hearts, how we are never satisfied. Verse 21, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. Now, this is one of those verses where I would really say New Living Translation does a better job. It, it says this, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. And so we read earlier about how don't, don't praise yourself, don't boast about yourself, let others, you know, give you compliments or praise you. But here we read that when they do give you those compliments, pats on the back and praise you, you know, don't take it in. You know, don't get, let your head get, you know, big or puffed up. You're being tested now. And so what will you do with that? You just know who you are. We know who we are. And we give all the glory. If there's anything good, anything good in any of us, who is it? It's Jesus. Verse 22, it says, Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. It was kind of funny. I was talking to Naomi before service today, and she was saying, Hey, I read the chapter ahead of time, and this is a summary. Don't be a fool. <laughs> she was absolutely right. And here it's crazy because God is doing everything he can to take away his foolishness. And here is an individual who just everything that God does, he just never changes. And he ends up dying a fool. Verse 23, it says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and the nourishment of your maid servants. And so um, basically what we see right here is that a farmer should care for his flocks and herds because they are a better investment than many of the other things that we have. You know, flocks and herds, they multiply through their offspring, but money, when it is spent, is gone. And so um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary has a lot to say about that. I encourage you guys, if you can, check it out. But, but I know this, and for me, like kind of going through life, sometimes I don't even know what the balance is in my checking account or things like that, or just in kind of thinking about the you know, financial state of where we are, you know, as a family. Thank God we've always been blessed as a family and as a flock. But what he's saying right here is, you know, pay attention to this stuff. You know, make sure that you're not caught off guard because, you know, we need to be good stewards of 
all these things that God has entrusted to our care. And so we trust the Lord. He's going to be the one to provide for us, you guys. Not really, you know, like we're taking this on ourselves. But we have a part in all this. And so may God give us wisdom and diligence in all these things. They say you can know a lot about a person by the way they handle their finances. And so let's be diligent.